You're listening to the Living with Licensing podcast, brought to you by Asgard Media. L-I-C-E-N-S-I-N-G, news and info, stuff is happening, here's the place you've got to go, for the cool kids in the know. Now here's your host, Kelvin Gardner. Thank you once again for joining us for this, what will be the last episode of Living with Licensing in 2020. And I'm delighted to welcome this week's guest, John McInerney. Hello, Calvin. How are you? John, thanks very much for joining us uh, only a few days before Christmas in this most peculiar of years. Um, but I was really pleased you could do this because, of course, you, we've just had the be able, to, be able to see you receive the Honorary Achievement Award. Congratulations from me and everybody. No, no, thank you. I was delighted to receive it and joined you know, notables within the industry like your good self on the list of people who have won it previously. Well, we, it, it's great to have you in the club, John. I was actually thinking about um, the whole business of that award after you won it, and uh, everybody made the the, the, the the very sensible comment that you're one of the longest-running independent licensing agencies in, in the UK or Europe, in fact, from that matter. And I think Actually, more, more than half of the recipients of that award have been independents of one kind or another, which, which I think is quite interesting in its own right, isn't it? I, I think so. I think uh, you really do have a mix. You need a real mix of skills to survive as an independent agent. Mm, yeah. And it's not to see that there's a new grouping coming through as well who are, you know, carrying on the tradition, which is, I think, very important because I think it, it adds um, variety to the industry. It certainly does. And in my days at the Trade Association, we often got people asking us, uh, you know, I want to find a licensing agent. What what type should I go for? And I, I always remember telling them that, you know, they're, they're very different. You can go to one of the big conglomerates uh, and they'll have one approach. But if you want to have the hands-on touch of the owner or the own, the partners in the business, then the independence are the way to go. Give a different touch. Yeah, I think they have a part to play, certainly. And as we're speaking to you today, John, I mean, one of the losses of 2020 was going to be your retirement party, of course, because you're, you describe yourself now as semi-retired. So what are, what are you actually up to at the moment in the business? <laughs> well, in the business, I'm sort of doing bits and pieces, and it really is only bits and pieces. Yeah. I've sort of helped one or two syndication clients. I've helped one or two licensing clients. Um, but it has been, you know, limited. It, yeah. You know, what I was intending to do um, became impossible because of the whole COVID scenario. So it's, uh, you know, in, including, of course, getting my award and having to do my acceptance speech from my dining room, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. is, which is, to my mind, a little bit of a lackluster effort, you know. Yeah, well, uh, well, uh, I was going to say to you because. Again, the award was given in the, the peculiar circumstances of being uh, online. So they had to tip you off in advance. So I'm just wondering whether it's worse to be told and have to write the script or those of us who were told on the night just had to think of something without any anticipation. Well, I, there were a few differences because I, I knew two or three weeks ago, I know Jackie only said a few days, but it was yeah. a little bit longer than that. And Ian Hyde had told me to keep, keep my mouth shut <laughs> uh, in his inimitable way. Yeah. And uh, yes, it is different. And I, as it was getting so near to Christmas, it really changed a little bit. And with the COVID situation, it changed a little bit of what I might might have said, you know. Of course, uh, yeah. 
when you're doing this in sort of September, October time, isn't it? As, comp as compared to the middle of December. <laughs> very, very different and a very different way of delivering the whole thing, as you say. So well, I think I think Max did a did a tremendous job, I have to say. And it's, you know, the, they have suffered like so many companies have suffered over this year because they've lost what they normally do. And it's just really tough for people, isn't it? It has been a very hard year, there's no doubt about that at all. But as you say, John, it's, they deserve congratulations for what they morphed into to deliver things. And many other businesses, I think, had to reinvent themselves along the way too. Yep, no, fantastic. Well, let's actually, before we, we get into your long career actually in the licensing business, just give us a bit of background, um, what happened, your, your school days. So you're born in Gloucester, I know, but... Um, uh, as you told me when I, I visited the rugby club, you were soon on your travels. So tell me about your early days. Well, in, the, in my early days, up until age 14, I was the you know, son of an RAF policeman. Mm. So we travelled around following his career, really. And those mm. were days which were slightly different because there were a lot of British forces abroad, yeah. uh, which there aren't today. And, um, you know, I, I think I said to you that... Uh, the first senior school I went to was in Singapore yeah. and there were 32 classes of 30 children in the first year there right and they were all children of forces service of service folk wow so what's is that was that like 900 service children oh, that's amazing yeah just just for one school year right <laughs> um you know so it was quite unusual and I, I spent two and a half years in Kenya, two and a half years in Singapore, yeah. and you school to school. But in saying that, you know, you either sink or swim in those situations. I had one rough patch in school where I was picked on a bit. Right. But generally you find, you know, you find a way of getting through and mixing with people. And I think, I think that helped me in my later life. I'm, well, especially coming across circumstances that you find yourself in through no particular choice. You did yeah. have to cope with that. Yes, that's absolutely true. And have you have you got any? Do you retain memories of Nairobi and Singapore? Have you been back as a, as less, a less, less, less or so in case of Nairobi, but Singapore we've been back. Yeah, uh, I'm due. I was funny enough. I was due to go over to Kenya this year um, because I'm sort of doing some work on a, a charity helping with sanitation oh, and yes. you know, with other elements of young people's problems, girls with you know, their problems and yeah. months. And it's just, you know, we've, we, we've sort of been making soap over there in big canisters and it's, we've even been supplying the prisons. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they haven't even got any soap in the prisons to wash with. So, so yes, it's a, it's a challenge over there. Of course it is. And, and you're only making a very small difference, yeah. but you know, it's, it's nice for me that I can work with a friend who's also, who's dual nationality, Kenyan and English. Oh, right. So, okay. Yeah. So uh, we work on it together. Makes it a bit easier. So, so school day is very much on the travel. You eventually got back to the UK. Well, what took you to Bedford? Was it again a military posting? Well, no, it was, we, we were, our last, my father's last posting was RAF Northolt, which Queen's oh, flight right. got out of. Yeah. And he was also responsible in his little mini going around all the RAF bases in the south of south of England checking security right and uh, we were at Northolt but my mother's mother's brother lived in Bedford so we'd always visited yeah. so when the time came to find a base we came here when I was 14 years old right. um, okay. and, uh, and and then I then attended Bedford Modern School for four mm -hmm. years and that was the first time I'd 
I'd actually been in a single sex school as well. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, quite a change from every single point of view. Yeah. <laughs> and do you remember whether it was difficult to readjust to living in the harsh British climate after Nairobi? Probably, in the probably less for me, I have to say. It's, okay. uh, I, I think I was probably ready for it, if the truth is. <laughs> it was quite nice to actually come somewhere and feel you're going to be part of it and be there for more than 10 minutes. Because it's certainly effective when you go to certain schools which weren't forces schools. Yeah. If they knew you were forces children, they didn't put much time into you very often. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Oh. Well, I, that's what that's what I thought the reason was, anyway. But there might be others. <laughs> yeah, there might be some other opinions, John. But uh, yeah, anyway, definitely. so so you went through um, Bedford um, Modern, but I mean, you, again, you told me you you didn't consider going into university. You went straight into. Well, my father was in the youth. When he left the force, when he left the air force, he was in youth employment. Right. He got me an interview with a company called McIntyre Hudson in Bedford. Yeah. They offered me a job and that was it. I was in. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'd ever professed the wish to become an accountant. But right. um, Sounds like you were conscripted into the accountant's yeah, army by your, your <laughs> father. <laughs> but it's a funny how things work, isn't it? Because one, one of the partners there was Dennis Silverton and he was running Universum Press. So we start, we, he was selling um, uh, US... King Features, comic strip material, Dargo, um, Lombard, Dupuis, you know, all French and Belgian comic strip material. Yeah. Bills and Boone love stories and transparencies for use on front covers. So, <laughs> you know, so he was into that area selling IP and wow. uh, he, he needed some help. And there was Johnny ready to go. <laughs> so, you, so you trained as an accountant before that sort of sideways move then? Yeah. Yeah, I did, but I don't. I don't think I was the most dedicated salesman <laughs> on it. And uh, you know, when this option came along, I was quite pleased to take it. And actually, funny enough, when I got married when I was twenty-eight, I was unemployed because I was having left an accountancy company. Yeah. I was going down to London to join the Yaffa newspaper service to supply features to Fleet Street. Right. So. So uh, that was the major change, really, for me. And, and then I was going into, you know, the Sun offices every week. I went into Wapping when it just opened. And that All was right, yes, of course. Yeah. There. And um, so, yes, it was. And Fleet Street was really Fleet Street then because you had, you know, the Express there and the Telegraph there and all the papers were in a close vicinity, mm. which, of course, that's not the case anymore. No, that was it was a, a very odd time, Um around then because uh, i recall that period as well because we in my panini days we used to do some promotions with newspapers and of course we all remember the um the power at the time of the print unions that were involved in all that sort of stuff and we, we had to pull up a, a few tricks uh, along the way and i bet you would have had to do especially if you were going into whopping in the early days when was that when the strikers were about uh, yeah it was yes yeah. yes <laughs> Yeah, there were interesting days, and it would be quite interesting as well. I remember going into Bouverie Street, where the sun is, because we used to have to get clear. We had a, a magazine called the Star Magazine from America, right. and I sell second rights to it. Yeah. And, uh, but the sun had first options. So I used to go and see Roy Greenslade, the features right. editor. Yeah. And every week, and he'd say, no, generally, he'd say they didn't want to use anything anyway, because they created their own gossip. They didn't need US gossip. <laughs> and uh, But 
he did tell me a couple of times that they'd had the trouble printing that day because you know a chair had fallen in the press and this sort of thing where yes. a lot of the boys who were working then were going around three or four newspapers a day right uh, yeah. work yeah. you know so it was a quite a tight quite a challenging time for owners yes it it, it would have been and and uh, as I, re I recall as well the um the, the the grip of the unions in all sorts of ways when when we did panini sticker promotions if we wanted to reclaim the unused stock at shoot magazine for instance uh, i had I, I had a company car and my, the editor didn't so i always got the job of reclaiming the stock but i had to borrow his nuj card before i'd be let into the building to reclaim our unused stock <laughs> <laughs> yeah no interesting times carry on yeah, no, I, yeah, it was nice. You had to go to Elvino's. That ah. was obligatory. And I was a member of a club called Duffers under Ludgate Arches. Right. So, and you used to go in there and the press boys were in there. You wondered how they ever got the paper out. <laughs> I bet that, 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 that doesn't surprise me at all. That's true. And I'm trying to recall, because at some point at that, in that period in the um, early 1980s, I remember visiting... Yaffa. Yaffa was was it always in um, Golden Square? Just around the corner from Golden. No, no, no. We we were in um, uh, just off Bo not Bouverie Street, uh, just off just behind Fleet Street. Anyway, we were right. there in the initial years, and then because we started taking on the licensing rights for King Features, yeah, they didn't want us there. Okay. So when our lease came up, we then moved to. Um, Great Pulteney Street. Yeah, that's 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 where I would have gone. And I seem to remember, you probably tell me if they're wrong. Did I meet Dennis Silverson? Was he involved? I've got a memory of. Yeah, no, he wasn't. He was involved with with Yaffa. He was a director of Yaffa, and I, yeah. you know, so we were both directors. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Then it was you and, and Chris. Was it an ex BBC? Chris, uh, Chris Crouch was there. He was ex BBC. Yeah. And I learned from Chris and I, you know, also when I was at Yafra, I learned from a guy called Harry Pease on the syndication side. Okay. But we did, our, 1986 was I, we sort of took over the rights. I think we took over the rights to Popeye first and we, right. King Features required that we do it on an exclusive basis. So we weren't able to take anything else on. And then we added to their properties to it, but it got to a yeah. point where we said, look, we can only get so many meetings when you're only representing one principal. Right, and it's yeah. actually limiting your opportunities, not maximising them. So yeah. Yeah. we they accepted that, and that's when we you know started to represent other things. Right, but and and because they had a fair portfolio, but as you say, they would all, they would all have been from a similar roots comic strip background, wouldn't it? So if you wanted, yeah, they were, and you know, because we we represented Smurfs while we were there, and Smurfs came with me when I went to all sorts, and uh, you know, it was. Um, yeah, a variety of different brands. It was a, an interesting time. We had, uh, you know, we had uh, Magic Eye, yeah. which was very successful, you know, looking at those images in a particular way. You know, we had the Daily Mail one weekend having a 12-page section just with Magic Eye images in. <laughs> Magic Eye was one of those very strange things that some people could get straight away, wouldn't they? And others like me, I have to say. I remember I, 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 remember I bought one from you at Panini to put on the back page. You had a football one, I think, and we bought it. Yeah, yes, yes. And, and I, I could never see it. I honestly, I could never see the damn thing. Well, that's why, you know, when I was in, um, when we were in the West End there, we had Radio 5 come in. Yeah. And they, they said, look, we want to go out into the pubs and see mm -hmm. whether you can get people to see these images. 
Yes. Uh, it's, mm, okay, I don't like the idea of this because can, it can only go <laughs> one way probably. But we got into a pub just around the corner from us and uh, a guy there was sitting at the bar and he said he couldn't see them, but he had had a quantity of red wine. I'm not sure whether he bore it or not, but he said he'd seen it and told me what it was. So he had seen it. Yeah. And then the lady from uh, Radio 5 said, should we go somewhere else next? And I said, no. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, you've got somebody doing it, learning, having, you know, learning how to do it. Yeah. They're really a lot of point just setting ourselves up to fail going forward <laughs> it uh, might actually just be worth explaining what it was for the uninitiated john what the magic eye well it was just images which you looked into and if you looked into them in a particular way um lenticular and and they would lift off the page to you so you could look at it and you wouldn't see anything but if you just relaxed mm. a glass of red always did help and then you could <laughs> see the image come out you know come out to you in the yeah from the page yeah, amazing. And, and, you know, to get 12, 12 pages. <laughs> yeah, we got 12 pages. We had nine books yeah. with Andre Deutsch. We yeah. had them on the side of Pepsi cans, right. which, which I couldn't understand because then when you're with the circular nation, uh, nature of a Pepsi can, yeah. I'm sure that worked very well. We had them on men's ties, T-shirts. So you never know what you can sell. No, absolutely right. It's extraordinary the way that that goes. And within the um, within the Yaffa portfolio, there was uh, Flash Gordon, of course. So you must have been doing those rights at the time when the the, the Hollywood movie was made of Flash Gordon. That'd be right. Well, the Hollywood movie it's its fortieth anniversary yeah. this year. Yeah. So nineteen eighty was when actually when it took place, and we weren't representing it then. So I'm not sure what they did at that point. Yeah. yeah. Um, but. Um, it's something which, you know, with this year, uh, with the being the anniversary, we did a number of licenses, including a book with uh, with Titan and, yeah. um, you know, stickers. The guy who did the, the new poster for the film, um, they had a vice press. They had a limited yeah. run as well of those. Yeah. So, um, which funnily enough, I'm just getting one of those uh, framed as we at the moment so yeah. so yes it's there were a range of licenses you're able to do figures this year as well um so there's been a lot of interest in that in that movie again yeah well, it is a cult classic canal and they they redid it as well to you know take account of today's skills and so it is refreshed and uh, it, it looks very good yeah, I, I, if, I, if I'm right, famously, George Lucas made Star Wars because he wasn't able to obtain the rights to make a Flash Gordon film, isn't that? Yeah, that's how the story goes, yes. it's. Um... And, and I guess that was also related, because I remember, I, I think we had Flash Gordon still in the um, late 60s when I got, went to Saturday Morning Cinema Club, but it was a famous strip, which was the sort of things that also brought about Indiana Jones, wasn't it, the Saturday Morning Cinema Street. Yes, yes. No, it, it's got quite a, you know, and bearing in mind, you know, with with, with Brian Blessed having gone on to have such a career yeah, and yeah. Sam Jones, and they, they actually love the link with Flash yeah. Gordon yeah. and having, having you know, the Queen's soundtrack as, you know, for the film, mm. it just had such a ring to it. All right, it was a little bit, you know, tongue in cheek to say the least, but it was just nice easy viewing and uh clever stuff really yeah and, and a bit different and it definitely had a style i remember mm. going to see it myself at the time and, and being very impressed with the whole thing 
Um, so it's mm. worthy of its revival from that point of view. So you're at Yaffa and you're based in Soho and things are going along very nicely on both sides of the business. You mentioned Mills and Boone. I think you've got a, a personal story about you and your wife and Mills and Boone. As I well, my wife and I appeared on the front cover of a Mills and Boone story in Yugoslavia. <laughs> okay. And uh, through one of our clients over there, he put it on the front cover. Yeah. And the only thing I did find out, it was something like Wedding in Bula Bula in Australia, the actual story itself. Right. Uh, but there was, you know, an archetypal English couple sit on the front cover, but it sold 32,000 copies. Wow. So I, I think that's a fairly right. unique claim to fame from the licensing industry, John. To <laughs> on the... Well, it has to be said that some are more photogenic than others. <laughs> I'd rather not go into names, but you, I think you probably know who I'm talking about. <laughs> that sounds reasonable to me, uh, John, absolutely. So what prompted the foundation of, of uh, all sorts licensing then? Um, there, there were sort of politics going on internally. We'd had a couple of years which hadn't been perhaps as good as they used to be. And uh, I, I was sort of getting a bit tired of commute. I'd commuted up to London for 18 years. All oh, right, yeah. And that's all right, but Monday to Friday is quite, you know, there wasn't a time then when you could work work at home two days a week or, mm -hmm. or have these other options, which you have now. Yeah. It was five days a week getting on the train. Yeah. And frankly, I was tired of it. Yes. And mm -hmm. um, so I I, I made an, an, you know, we, we were discussing it internally and I, I said, look, I'm, I'm, I need to move out. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's what I did. Right. And but you were able to take a did how how did you sort of split the rights? I mean, how did that happen? Did you took uh, the well? No, I I I'd already started the company, and right. because I wasn't replaced, um, and as a result, they didn't have adequate cover for what was needed. Yeah, the rights holders approached me, and I I took them on again. So I took King Features on. Yeah, okay. and I took on IMPS on Smurfs. Mm. Yeah, and. Um, and and one other one as well but not a big one so yeah so it's just you know what happened and smurfs didn't, smurfs didn't stay that long because it was hard to get deals through at that time i think they had other things going on internally in all fairness to them yeah and also i think the smurfs was always a comparatively hard sell in the uk compared to some of the latin yeah. countries where it, i remember um I remember an Italian friend of mine saying that the Smurfs over there sort of worked that, you know, if you didn't have Mickey Mouse, you bought the Smurfs or something, you know, it was like the second must have kids property in, in some Latin countries. Uh, it was a, bit of a problem with the color of the. Um, oh yes, of course. Yes. Yeah. Because not every, not every retailer wanted the blue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was a little bit of an issue, but we did have, you know, in the time we had it, we had two McDonald's promotions. Yeah. So, um, you know, that was fun and worked well, but we didn't have, you know, across the board stuff like you need, really. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it was a it was a property which needed reinvigorating, which I'm sure the movies have done for it. Yes, yeah, so exactly. Brought it back into the big public consciousness. I'm trying to recall as well in this period whether um, when when um, CPL announced their joint venture with uh, merchandising mentioned to form a European licensing group there was a, a, a group of independents came together to sort of offer an alternative I'm trying to, were you involved in that at all I'm trying to remember whether you were uh, 
I sort of spoke to them, but I don't think I was. Right. Okay. Um, it, you know, it, I, I didn't really feel that it was something. You, you can't counter things like that, mm. I don't think. Yeah. You, can, you, you have to find your own way forward. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I tried to do. Yeah. No, absolutely right. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think some of the other names that were involved in it, and I can't. But, but, but I did, you know, I was a strong believer in a number of things that time because I was also, I can't remember when Andrew Levy started off the um, Lima Committee in the UK. Right. And, yeah. But I became a member of that, you know, right. and yeah. things like that I think were important. I think we've always, we always have needed a trade organization. Yeah. And if we couldn't have a, a British one, it was better that we have the, the US one as well. So, uh, but yeah. we've, the, the problem has always been is the true understanding and wish to be international sometimes you felt was lacking. Mm. Uh, from the trade association itself, do you mean, John, there? Yeah, it was at that time, certainly. Yeah. You know, I know it changed when you got involved, but, uh, you know, and I, I'm, I'm certainly pleased that um, Mr. Saltmarsh has carried <laughs> on your mantle in that regard. Yeah. You know, he has to do stunts like go and you know move elephants and that sort of thing, <laughs> but uh, but he's still doing it, and I'm pleased that he is. Yeah, exactly, and a, a, a colourful character to, to take. Yeah, well, you know, some people might say you're a colourful character as well. <laughs> so, so you really needed a colourful character to carry on that mantle. Well, I bet you met quite a few uh, over your years in the business. I was going to ask you whether, whether there's any particular memorable or different type meetings you, you've had in your years in licensing that you'd like to tell us about? Well, I did, I did when I was representing the Muppets in Hungary. Right. Uh, I, I had a meeting at um, the Jim Henson offices in New York. Okay. And uh, I, I, you, went, you went to this brownstone building, I remember, and, and you went inside and there was uh, cinema seats and receptions so where the guests where right. the guests sat in. Yeah. And there footprints actually molded into the floor of the different characters wow. from puppets and then you had a hot air balloon hanging down the circular staircase in the middle with the characters <laughs> hanging off it okay and so, so I, I, that was a certainly um you know that was a nice meeting and and there you know you have meeting you go to so many different places don't you whether it's in mm. vegas or in new york going to these places you've never heard of these i went to the um I was staying at the university club on Fifth Avenue. Right. Uh, and I do remember um, it was quite, the rooms were a little bit run down, but you could only get, you could only actually go to that, stay at that club if you knew somebody from the club. And I, I did. Yeah. And so we, we stayed at the club and, uh, but you weren't, there was no exchange of money at the club because it was considered bad form. Oh, so really? they, they sent you an invoice to you afterwards and you have to pay it afterwards when you got home which there's not many places where you could trust people like that these days uh, One day, they didn't do that and he wasn't the agent for very long right <laughs> no well i was going to say that that's remarkable <laughs> it, yeah. allowing you to go all the way home to the uk without settling the bill <laughs> yeah absolutely and uh and there was another little story from that club there was a swimming pool and he went downstairs and in the in the basement was the pool. Uh, I put my trunks on, went outside, and then found that everybody was naked. So, <laughs> so I had to throw my trunks in the corner and get in and swim. You know, so okay. uh, yes, 
when in Rome, so to speak. Yeah, in Rome, you never know what's going to happen next, do you? And I think that, in a lot of ways, that does sum up licensing, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So uh, all the guests have been on uh, the podcast. I I like to ask them what, uh, throughout their careers, what what their three favourite properties they've worked on. I guess I'm I'm guessing from what you said about Magic Eye that that would be one of them. Um, yeah, Magic Eyes was a lovely brand and quite, it was fun as well. And it was, it was you know, because you did go on to various things. People were approaching you. And I think whenever anybody, whenever you're being approached on a regular basis to do this, do yeah. that, yeah. you know, you've got something which is going to sell a bit. Yes. Uh, exactly. The other one, the two other ones, I have to put Betty Boop in the top yeah. three. Yeah. Betty Boop's been a fantastic brand over many, many years. And, mm. you know, we, we, were delighted to represent Betty and there were always deals to be done. And when you were doing deals a few years ago, when, you know, like with Fashion UK, you were yeah. selling into New Look and this sort of thing, yeah. the numbers of shirts that were being sold was mm. quite astonishing. Yeah. And so the royalties were very nice, thank you very much. So <laughs> so it was a nice, nice fashion brand, fresh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm sure it's going to continue for a long time yet. Like, well, I, I worked with Gerdev in the early days of him working with you on Betty Boop. Yes, I know. Yeah. He, he couldn't say, he couldn't get Betty Boop. He had to keep calling it Betty Boo all the time. Do you, you call that? Yeah. Like he, he, wasn't the only, he wasn't the only one in that regard. I had to, you know, <laughs> there were a number of people I had to correct over the years. And I said, no, 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 that was a pop star. I said, it wasn't, it's not the name of the brand. Right, exactly. But, uh, so he, and he called, I think he was calling it Betty Boo until the end, Gerdev. Yes. <laughs> I think he was. I think he was. Although, ironically, to your instruction, but obviously not. Yeah, he, you know, he had, he had a good way of skipping those, I have to say. I think the truth is that Betty Boop, the pop, Betty Boo, the pop singer, wanted to call herself Betty Boop and had to change to Betty Boo. Yeah, I understand the case, yes. Correct, yeah. But, but it's not because, it, you know, it's a, again, it's one of these family brands, you know, it, yeah. it's with Mark Fleischer running the company, um, Fleischer Studios to this day, yeah. and his father running it before him. And I met him in London once. Yeah. Um, you know, that it really is a family brand and they've mm. kept it. And I hope they continue to keep it because it's uh, a lot of these brands tend to be sort of snapped up after yeah. a while. We had Felix the Cat and DreamWorks bought yeah. it. You yeah. know, and, and I think that's at CPLG now. Yeah. And um, it's, you know, you don't see that much of it. And uh, it's a disappointment, really, because that's another lovely brand. Yeah, and probably lovingly cared for by the family owners as long as it was in their hands rather than just becoming just another brand. In- yeah, I think, I think sometimes then they can get a little bit lost. But, yeah. uh, and the third one I would add to that is Cow Parade. Ah, Cow Parade. I think it was 2002, I think. And we did a cow parade in London. We had, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 full-size cows all around, you know, all around London. (laughs) And they attracted such attention. And the number of figurines that was sold by um, James Winchester, um, the the gift company, both here um, in Holland Holland and also in Germany. Yeah. uh, Phenomenal. And the people were collecting these things, you know. And where did the idea for that come from? It did seem like a crazy idea. Where did the whole idea come from? Guy over in America who got involved. And I think there was a little bit of a um, interesting route it came to, it came through. But we, you know, we got hold of the rights and we met. We worked with um, 
Charlie Langhorn on, on the uh, cow parade and with a committee in London. And Charlie has made it his career, of course, and right. uh, yeah. with his wild in art companies, done them for Ardman, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yes. You know, all just elephants or, um, I remember in Liverpool, there was there's a statue up there, Super Lamb Banana. He had Super Lamb Bananas all over <laughs> Liverpool, you know, it, it just yeah. sort of, it continued. And, uh, you know, I'm delighted for him, you know, it was, uh, it was something yeah. which he was able to, you know, it was just an opening and off he went, you know. Yeah. And, uh, another, brilliant. Another extraordinary example from the wild and wacky world of licensing and entertainment. About I, I think, yeah, the actual world of licensing and what you can sell, you know, and there's been other brands like, Afro Ken, where you know, whenever Afro Ken was near to something, yeah. his hair, hair became an apple or became something <laughs> else. You know, it was just it was a surreal Japanese brand, <laughs> and uh, you know, I think we did about twelve licenses on that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, extraordinary. It's just I don't think I don't think it solved that well, if I recall. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was a good idea at the time. Which... Yeah idea at the time absolutely. sometimes is an achievement enough in our uh, wacky uh, industry it certainly is and it, john listen thank you very much for joining especially in with all the work getting ready for chris it's been a pleasure to to talk to you this afternoon and congratulations again on the honorary achievement award and i hope it won't be too long before we can uh, once more share a pint somewhere well that would be nice kelvin it was nice to see you when you came over to bedford rugby club of course and uh, Always a delight, and there's lots of people in the business I, you know, I respect and are very fond of. So I wish everyone a very Merry Christmas. A big thank you to our sponsor, Dependable Solutions, the licensing management software specialists. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Living with Licensing, please tell your friends and colleagues.